0: Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing
1: Podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer.
0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing, where we interview cybersecurity marketing experts, visionaries, and just some plain interesting people. So I'm Gianna Whitfer, one of your co-hosts, along with Maria Velasquez. Hi, everyone. Awesome. So today we're so excited to have Tyler Shields on as a guest. He is the CMO of Jupiter One. And I have to say, he's self-described as an accidental CMO, maybe a reluctant CMO. <laughs> um, he's also an intentional business builder, an investor, and a technologist. He comes from the security world as an offensive security guy. And he's previously built some R&D teams, worked at big companies, and now he builds marketing teams for Jupiter One. We're so excited to have you here, Tyler.
2: Well, thank you, Gianna. I appreciate it. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to come and talk to you guys.
0: Awesome. So before we get into, you know, marketing stuff, you live in Raleigh, North Carolina.
2: I do. Yes. I've been here about 20 years. I moved here in 2001, right after the dot-com crash. I was living out in Silicon Valley and watching the world burn out there in the dot-com days around me and decided that, uh, hey, it was time to move to a, a new location. And my girlfriend at the time, wife now, she she had a, a job offer at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And I said, Hey, let's go. I'm in tech. I can work from anywhere. And so I did. So I've been on airplanes and and traveling to different cities ever since.
0: That's awesome. So you're a tar heel.
2: I am. I actually did my uh did my MBA from Carolina. So I am a tar heel through and through, down with the dookies.
0: Awesome.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, awesome. So I I mean let's get into it then. Tyler, tell us about what is the secret sauce of building that winning team? And actually we wanted to cover like what it's like to build a remote team, but let's dissect that into two parts. Um, sure. As you know, part of our cybersecurity marketing society, there's a great deal of startups, startups with you know one man, woman marketing team and they're tasked with building the right kind of team with the right kind of functions that is needed at an early stage startup. So I want to just hone in on that. First of all, if, if you have the experience tell us what is the secret sauce and what would be the most important five first roles. And then we can address it from a remote working perspective.
2: Like anything else, uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship and building a business, like anything else, there is no playbook that you just follow. So that's the first thing I'll tell you. I can tell you my experience. I work with a bunch of companies as an advisor on how to build go-to-market, and they're all in cybersecurity or infrastructure because that's my core. And I've found that I kind of have a unique niche in the sense that the first 15 years of my career, I was actually a R&D guy, developer, product manager type person. So I built the companies from that half of the business for the first half of my career. And the second half of my career, I've built go-to markets, right? So it gives me this unique perspective to understand how those two things connect and work together. And so I work with a lot of different startups. I've done Signal Sciences. We did very well there. I'm at Jupiter One now. We're we're off and running and doing great here. But one thing I tell all those companies, whether I'm advising or full-time at them, is there is no blueprint. I can't just tell you, go hire these four people, do these six steps, and you will nail it because that's not how it works. Then I, then I get into, listen, I can tell you my experiences and that's all they are. But, you know, for me, what I've found is that what works best for me is measurements first. Now, remember, I'm an engineer. So first thing I'm going to do is measure what we have. Then I build the engine itself, like the execution capability to do the go-to-market things we need to get done. And I watch the impact on measurements. And so, Another thing people always try to say is, hey, Tyler, come in. In the end of this quarter, I need my marketing fixed. And I'm like, (laughs) no, (laughs) in the end of this quarter, we can give you step one towards a 12 to 18 month plan to build a marketing engine, right? But you you don't just turn marketing on. It doesn't work that way. And so to directly answer your question on a hiring perspective, I do the metrics first, then I look at the engine, and then I understand how the go-to-market business matches marketing. So for example, if you're a product-led company with 5K deals that are doing self-service and credit card swipe, totally different steps to building your marketing engine than if you're a traditional enterprise 100 to 200K deals that are selling to CISOs or big companies, right? So So you have to match what you're building to the go-to-market model that the company has. And so, what what I've done, because largely the companies that I've built have been the latter, not not always that product led early stage stuff. Um, what I've done and what works for me is to build um, the first thing I build is that engine, marketing automation, ability to email, and then start to fill the top of the funnel. And I'll spend anywhere from six to six to nine months, not even caring about whether I get MQLs out the bottom of the funnel, just getting the word out who we are and what we do and making sure that internal to the company, we've determined our position and message, and we can articulate that outward. That's the first six to nine months of building a go-to-market. Love that. Then from there, what is closing deals at that point, right? By this point, you're going to have a few deals that are sold on the back of relationships of your leaders, of your sales team, et cetera. What's closing the deals? And then figuring out how to integrate that information and data back Back into that marketing engine. And then you start worried about nurturing, getting MQLs, getting deals closed.
1: I love that you mentioned automation, because I I know that's a mistake a lot of startups do is they don't really prioritize automation. They don't prioritize building the right kind of infrastructure and tech stack Mm -hmm. for marketing. And then of course, that resource that comes with it, right? Marketing ops, that usually comes two years down the road when the data is so murky and you have no idea where to start and clean up. So I'm so happy that you mentioned that let's say all of this, but in a remote setting, how do you do that? And is there anything different that you would do?
2: So if I'm the first hire, and I have been in a couple of startups, the first thing I say is I'll come on and I'm going to hire a right hand person, right? Because I'm not doing this alone. I cannot possibly do it alone. You need two right out of the gate, almost guaranteed. That person that I've generally hired actually is not some significant huge VP that comes with a big price tag that's done it a million times. When I did Signal Sciences, my first hire had never done marketing, ever. Quite frankly, to be, to be fair and honest, I had never done marketing when I became the <laughs> head of marketing at, at Signal Sciences, right? I had never done it before. Um, and that's where the comment about the accidental CMO comes into play, right? I actually had no intentions of being mar- in marketing. And when I interviewed at Signal Sciences, I said to them, I said to them, I'm not your marketing guy. I'm your strategy guy. i help you build the business from a strategy perspective. And they said, great, we'll hire you, but we need marketing, so go do it. All right. So I was an accidental CMO right out of the gate. (laughs) But what I look for in that first person is a certain level of, well, I don't know if I can say it because it's it's got a swear word in it, but get get stuff done. Yes, get shit
1: done. We swear on this podcast. Absolutely. Oh, excellent. (laughs) Great.
2: So you guys talk like I do.
0: It's not family friendly. Don't let your kids listen. We're going to be on
2: the same page because I'm not family friendly either. No, I look for that certain level of hey, I can get shit done. Yeah. Right. This person needs to come in, get into HubSpot or get into whatever engine we decide to build on Salesforce, whatever, and get shit done. I don't care if it's perfect. Just create the capability to measure, create the capability to deliver emails, create the capability of brand of graphics, whatever we got to do. So I need somebody that's willing to learn and. I've been blessed by just two phenomenal individuals that I hope they hear this podcast someday because they'll know who they are. These two phenomenal first hires that I had both at Signal Sciences and Jupiter One have just been unreal. They've just been come in, they get it done. We work together and we execute as a team. Now, both of those companies were, I was, uh, well, Signal Sciences was was in L.A. I lived in Raleigh. That entire marketing org was remote. One or two people were in L.A. The whole org ended up being remote. Jupiter One, we're in a pandemic. I hired my entire team remote until my two recent hires out of 10. The first eight were remote. Wow! Um, When it comes to execution, it's communication when you're remote. It's the number one thing. And I'm sure some people, if they were to sit in on my one-on-ones or sit in on my communications with my team, would think it's super cheesy, some of the stuff I say. But I over-communicate. They say stuff two, three, four times, give way too much information, operate like an open book in a blank slate and say, ask me anything. I'll give you answers. And because of that, you start to build the rapport that people say, hey, he's not going to lie to me. I can trust him. He's not going to snowball. He's not going to you know, find ways to do things around me. And And it works, right? We've built the teams based on that level of trust.
0: So your KPI for that is if someone starts saying, yeah, 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 yeah,
2: yeah, Tyler, I've got it. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. (laughs) For communication. Yeah, no, and and that means I tell them one more time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. Uh, You touched on trust, and and that is really true. I think that is the key component that differentiates between the team going above and beyond or not, right? When when you have that trust with your leader and you know it's the kind of leader that vouches for you at that roundtable, leadership, gets you the budget you need, gets you the resources you need, your team will always go above and beyond, and there's no question about that.
2: Yeah, you know, I think the interesting thing there is you can't fake interest in helping people. You have to be genuine with it, right? If that makes sense. And um, 100%, I put my people above everything else. There's nothing that even comes close to my people. And, you know, when I left Signal Sciences, I literally shed a tear. Like I shed a tear when I said I had to leave, right? So there's just a certain level of, I will do anything for you that you can't fake. And if you're if you're genuine about wanting to be good to your people, your people see it. And they trust you. And that's how you gain that trust.
1: I want to jump into culture. And of course, mm-hmm. that is, that is. I think, you know, 10 years ago, that is something that startups started, right? And it started with perks at work and, you know, things that you're, you get at startups that you don't get elsewhere. But now in today's age, in a remote setting, in a much bigger startup setting as well, culture can be either hard to establish or hard to keep, even if you've established it, right? Like when you go from small startup, up to 30 people, it's like a family, culture is really easy to flourish. But then I think maybe beyond that, I don't know, maybe there's a different threshold, but as it gets bigger, it's really hard to, to keep and 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 nurture. Uh, what have you seen and what could you share with us uh, throughout your experience that has worked?
2: Yeah, um, I think a culture similar to what I just talked about with trust, it comes from genuine, um, genuinely wanting the right things yourself and then that trickles downward to others and they they see the way that the leadership acts and the culture comes top down it really does and if you hire somebody that doesn't fit that culture that doesn't agree with that you have to figure out how to get rid of them fairly quickly because it will be toxic to the culture that you have so i think culture is a top down thing certainly at the at the at the entry levels culture builds around the leaders as you get bigger and bigger people have less visibility into the leaders. So the leaders have to be more overt about their culture publicly to the company in all hands meetings, in, you know, how they present themselves to the, to the public or to the team, to the company. And then eventually what happens is you get silos and groups where a a head of engineering will become the primary culture driver to that group. And the head of GTM will become the cultural driver to that group And you, so the CEO still has some cultural impact, but by this point, it's disseminated down into the ranks, right? It's much harder to change culture when you're bigger because there's so many entry points of cultural change, right? And so I think is if you're conscious and cognizant about it, you can impact culture right from the get-go just by how you act and how you then make others act towards you.
1: I love that. I feel like we need to quote that and document it somewhere (laughs) on some kind of stone, (laughs) you
2: can can quote me anywhere this
1: is
0: how it's done oh i could i could see it in like a live love laugh like format you know like maybe (laughs) needlepoint i'll work on that
1: (laughs) commandments format here's a one pager on how to keep culture (laughs) as long as my
2: face is nowhere near that needlepoint then we'll be fine
1: (laughs) thank you so much for that that is some amazing advice things that i think i could probably apply in in my journey in the marketing so at jupiter one what
0: are you doing now to build culture around your marketing team to build a good marketing like culture that.
2: so that marketers are attracted to jupiter oh one? my goodness yeah so again i think it comes from the top down and i try to be very overt and and really care about my people okay And what I'm finding is that the feedback that I'm getting from them is that I'm doing it right. They're working really hard and they're working extra hours or working when things need to get done because they want to, because they like it, because they enjoy it every day, right? Um, And so I'm definitely not perfect. And I'm sure if you talk to my team, they'll point out tons of gaps of things that I do wrong. But another, I think, cultural thing with my team at Jupiter One is I admit them, like they're gonna call me out and say, Tyler, you've forgotten these six things this month. I'm like, dude, that is the biggest weakness I have is organization for me and, and remembering things like help me, call me out. Like that's okay. And that, that level of openness, that's what, that's what feeds it, right? That's what feeds the culture. And so at Jupiter one, um, you know, I think we do a pretty good job of cross communication, of talking, of working together. I think right now, actually I'm erring on the side of trying to wind people back in from over communication because I feel like our execution (laughs) capability is a little lower than what I'd like to see right now because we're talking about it too much. But again, when I bring it up with the team, it's an open, fun, truthful conversation of, Hey, here's some gaps I'm worried about. Can we do a little bit less meetings or if we do meetings, can we cut the number of people in half and focus on execution for this month? And everybody's like, okay, makes sense. I get it. Right. And it's all about that communication that I have with them. So I think culturally, For me, what's working is being conscious of change you need in play, and being overt with your team of how you want to achieve it.
0: All right, everyone. If you're looking to generate quality cybersecurity leads and opportunity pipeline for your sales team, webinars are the channel you need to be leveraging. Lead Gen webinars bring you real live audiences in your target ICP with engagement you can measure, something other channels just can't match. Actual Tech, an official lead generation partner of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, specializes in fully turnkey cybersecurity webinar programs with CPLs far below what you're used to. Everyone, I have spent a lot of money on webinars and lead generation in the past. And I gotta say, I was really impressed with Actual Tech. I saw the results of those webinars that they've been running for cybersecurity audiences, and I was impressed with the lead quality and the lead quantity. So visit actualtechmedia.com backslash CMS or hit today's show notes for more information. Awesome. Great. Um, so you know in the pre-call. Tyler, you had said there are some big picture items that you're thinking of about in 2022. In terms of marketing activities, programs, projects that you're working on, what are you most excited
2: about for 2022? Sure. So we have to look at the stage of Jupiter One and I don't want people to think, oh, Jupiter One's going in these areas. We need to go in similar areas. Like it's not that clear cut again. It's specific to where you are, your stage and all those things. We had a really, really great year in 21, an absolutely stellar year you know, 5X plus revenue growth, um, you know, we're up to almost uh, 90-ish, 95 people headcount wise, where eight, 15, 18 months ago, we were at like 25. So wow. the growth has been been very good, very stellar. And so I feel like the fundamental building blocks of marketing, our go-to-market is rocking. It's on point. It's executing every day. The team is killing it. So I get the luxury of extending into some additional areas now as we move into the, you know, the post the post B round type of execution. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm really excited about right now is we have a big, big push right now for community, and trying to build a a place for cybersecurity community people to land and operate and communicate. Right now, for the first iteration, most of that community will be centered on the Jupiter One product. Um, but as we move through 2022, we'll be looking to expand that to bigger community type things, right? Cybersecurity in a general sense. And sure, Jupiter One will be there and be involved in that, but we won't dictate that you have to be part of the Jupiter One product to be in the community. So we plan to grow that quite a bit in 2022. That's very exciting. I also plan to get much heavier into more modernized social media, podcasting, running our own live streams uh, with more frequency, like all of that more modernized type of marketing. That's some of the stuff we're pushing into into 2022.
0: That's fun. You're at the, you know, Jupiter One's at the stage where things get really fun. Uh, Really
2: fun or really scary. We're still trying to figure that out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, with community, I think community is tough and a lot of people try it and fail because a user community I'm I'm not gonna say it's easy, but it's easier because you are centered around your product, right? This is for our users to talk and share how they've implemented our product. And people have questions and you know, it's like the HubSpot user forums are a good example for us marketers, you know, you gravitate there, it creates a good SEO traffic, et cetera, et cetera. But when companies start trying to do communities that are broader for more, you know, people who aren't using the product yet, they fail because they focus on themselves. Yep. Like, how are you making sure that, and I know it's in the future, because you're saying you're building it now, but how are you trying to conceptualize this so that it, so that it's a, a valuable, relevant community for cybersecurity practitioners and future buyers without the focus being on Jupyter 1? Yeah.
2: I think you'll have to bring me on the show in a year and we can tell you whether (laughs) whether my decisions were right or not. But, you know, I think there's a certain level of foundational building, like everything I do. When I build the go to market of a company in general, you build the foundation first, then you start to grow and execute into new areas. Right. I think it's the same thing for community for how we were approaching it anyways. Again, I don't know if this is going to work. I think it's going to work. I hope it's going to work. But we're building the foundation of a product led community today just to get the tools in place, to get the measurements in place, to get a bunch of metrics that we can look at and then iterate against that as we then take that product-led community and turn it into a global community, right? And that transition, again, to go back to you don't just turn on marketing, that transition doesn't just happen in a day. That transition will take months and months and months, if not a year or two, to really become truly effective. But the key for me there, just like building anything in marketing, is measurement understanding the efficacy of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and then transferring it. Now, for us today, it's all about Jupyter One in there. It's going to be out of our product, mm-hmm. you know, how to how to do queries in Jupyter One, how to build dashboards, et cetera, et cetera. But we've got some interesting secondary areas that will just start to build up. Security operations talk, CISO's corner, like doing things like that, that we can then hopefully build champions in the product side that transition into broader um, community champions for us that will talk about it externally and hopefully draw people to the community over time.
1: Are you going to put any budget behind building this community? Is there a marketing budget behind it?
2: Uh, it depends on how you define budget, right? The fact that I'm, you know, this community's already got a forum system that we're standing up. We're putting a Shopify store with a bunch of Jupiter one swag connected to it. We're game, we're gamifying the community. So you'll have ranks that you progress through. And as you get into higher ranks, you get more uh, Jupiter one bucks to buy Jupiter one swag. Eventually, maybe there'll be a bigger, broader community brand swag that we can put in there. Right. So all of that is budgeted. You know, we're putting money and effort behind building this community because I think there's a certain level of finding value in a community that, can be self-fulfilling for sure, especially if there's like, like the cybersecurity marketing community is just absolutely amazing. I find value from that every single day. I go to that Slack every day. I clear out all the messages, read them all every single day because there's significant value in the people there, right? But you don't just get all those people. It took you guys time to make that. Two years, yeah. It took you Mm -hmm. years to make that. And it's all about measuring the successes over time and doing what's working increasing what's working and being creative in what you try. We're doing that exact same thing and hoping to grow it. And Janet, to answer your question, I think you're going to ask what metrics are important. I don't know yeah. yet.
0: Uh, I love that.
2: <laughs> I have a few ideas. And quite frankly, I'm going to probably ping you separately so that you can tell me, because I think you, you mm-hmm. could answer that question way better than I can. Um, but we are looking at, you know, of course, the direct, easy to measure metrics, signups, posts, you know, the actual activities that are happening on a day-to-day basis. That's one thing. If you can grow those, you're growing your community for sure. But what if we can say of our community influencers, let's tie the champions and the influencers we have in that community to their external personas? Are they mentioning us on their external Slack? Are they talking to others about us? There's all sorts mm-hmm. of secondary measures that I, I think over time will become much more important than just the flat, who's your champion who's using it measurements
0: and now for this week's content tip by content workshop
1: attention is your audience's most valuable resource what you're asking your audience for is to surrender their most valuable resource their attention there is fierce competition for this resource every piece of content you create should take jealous care of something your audience will never get back their time content needs to deliver On the values that you promise.
0: That was another amazing content tip by Content Workshop. Learn more about Content Workshop Storytelling Services and how they help cybersecurity companies achieve ROI through amazing content and storytelling at contentworkshop.com.
1: On that, how are you keeping your leadership team realistic on their the expectations of attribution from this community to revenue creation or opportunity creation?
2: It's a good question if my leadership team and board is hearing this, please lower your expectations even further than I've said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think in reality you do your best to to explain to them exactly what we're talking about, that this is a multi-year process, right? And we're going to take some budget, we're going to do this with the budget and we're expecting hopefully this. We're going to iterate, it's going to grow over time. And again, I just think it's about over-communicating what you think the realistic expectations are going to be. And then if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. Maybe you don't build a community. If, if the leadership and the boards doesn't get that vision, then maybe that's not something you do as a business.
1: That's true, because it'll always be an uphill battle to convince them that it's it's worth the time, right? Uh, if if off the bat, it's a big fat no.
2: Absolutely. Cool. But you also have to understand, like we're connecting the Jupyter One community to the Jupyter One product. So within product, you can cross post things to community that will then be open to the outside world. And so it is a key component to our product and our business, which makes it a natural, easy budget for us to, to apply.
0: So in the world of community, and I'm not talking about cybersecurity product community, I'm talking about other communities I see and that we track there's a lot of focus on the one celebrity person who runs the community, right? The talking head. And I'm thinking of uh, Ross Pomerantz with Bravado, the CMO of Sixth Sense with the CMO Coffee Chat yep. Group. Are you thinking about positioning any of your people or yourself or your CTO or anyone as sort of talking head for community?
2: Wow. That's a great question. I hope, like, hack it's not me. Um, it may be me. <laughs> Um, Surprise! Yeah, I, I really <laughs> sincerely don't want it to be me. Again, I'm an accidental CMO. I'm not intentional in this role. No, I think <laughs> it's funny, you know, from I'm also do I do a bunch of investments in cybersecurity companies. And one of the things I look for in those investments, and it's funny you use the term, I call it the talking head thing. You need a talking head in every business for it to become successful. Many times it's the CEO. Sometimes it's a CISO that you hire in to the, to the company. Sometimes it's the head of engineering who built the product, who has a great persona. You have to have a talking head for a business to become successful from a go-to-market and marketing perspective. I don't think a community is any different. Now, what's interesting though, right now I have no idea who my talking head is going to be. I think I know we just hired a phenomenal person into Jupiter one who's helping to build it. She's got a absolutely wonderful persona. She's fun to talk to. She speaks at all these conferences. She might be that. We have a CISO who could take a similar role. We have me and the CEO who could take a similar role. Or one thing that people don't think about is distributing the talking heads to your biggest champions in the community. Let's say I I end up getting four champions in my community that talk about one's like a SOC expert, one is a compliance expert, whatever, right? Say we get four of these in the different areas that matter to our community. Deputizing them and letting them become the talking heads that lead the community could also be another way that you find a champion.
0: Yeah, letting people build it Themselves, essentially, yep. if they have their own ownership in the community that they're building, you've given them the mod hat or something. I don't know what your platform looks like, but, you know, they're the expert. They get a special tag and they get to write and talk. And in turn, you promote them. Well, which is good. People want to
2: have their brands. Known this it's great age. for the personal brand. It's great for your your community. And I would go even further than that, right? We shower the people that have climbed up the ranks with swag, give them stuff, make them happy, you know, incentivize them. But then the ones that are those ones that are the talking head, perfect ones to deputize, we send them to conferences to talk on our behalf. We send them to, you know, great events that they're going to really enjoy going to. We find ways to reward them for what they're doing for us in the community.
0: I love that. That's amazing. Can I ask you about your swag? Your I'm trying to combine it in one word.
2: swag turgy? Swag-tergy? Yeah. <laughs> that does not come across right, but I know where you were going.
0: <laughs> yeah, your swag strategy. What sort of swag are you going to offer? And this is just me being super nosy because swag is a really interesting concept. We're in a world where now like people, like for me, an example, I always get gift things from vendors, yep. Those boxes with like, I don't know, tchotchkes. I like the consumables, but a lot of stuff is garbage. No offense to garbage.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And we have some garbage in our swag store. FYI, there's some garbage in there.
0: Okay. That's fair. Good.
2: (laughs) As a, as a CMO, I've always had a strategy on swag and there, there needs to be some garbage. There needs to be some chuckables that you're going to throw away and they're going to give to their five-year-old kid and that's fine. And there needs to be some t-shirts. There's like some foundational things you got to have in there. But my opinion is that swag should always be something that they find value from. And, okay, well, what do I mean by that? Well, this this is like the coolest thing in swag, in my opinion, right now is these, these. Um, and I don't know if we have video on this, but uh, these, uh, these 24, 32-ounce Yetis with a cap, okay? Not bad. I literally – right? So I did my own for Jupiter One, but I'm holding up another one here that's a company I invested in, right? They sent me one as well. And the reason I I say this is because now every time I'm on a podcast, I show these things and I drink from them and my logo is everywhere, right? So it's one thing to show value to the person, but it's also another thing to show value in a way that gets continued marketing. So the other thing that I did early on, so I I did one of the first Yetis in cybersecurity. I did it in 2015. My wife, God bless her, was like, Yetis are the coolest thing. I'm like, what the heck's a Yeti? Like, I don't even know. Like, <laughs> isn't that a cooler that fishermen use? And she's like, no, it's these super cool um, cup things that you can put your, your sodas in or your beers in and it keeps them cool. I'm like, oh, hey, those are pretty cool. I'm like, let's do, she's like, you should do those for swag. I'm like, I am saying I came up with that on my own. Um,
1: <laughs> well, the secret's forward, out. Now. <laughs> we did some of the
2: first Yetis in cybersecurity, but it's a long way of saying it. Everybody I gave them to were like, this is great. They're now looking at my logo every single day. Every single day it's in front of the prospect. The other thing that I did early on that I thought was absolutely amazing is, you know, the camera covers that you put on your yeah. your, your laptop? Yes,
0: mm-hmm. They are
2: the best swag on the planet. And the reason they're the best swag on the planet is your logo is in front of your prospect every single day when they're working. They're That's sitting true. there staring at the Jupiter One logo right in front of them every single day. So the more of those little covers I can give away at a dollar a pop, the more people get to stare at my logo. So that's how I think of swag, right? Now, as far as the community goes and the swag store, it's all about making them happy. What's going to give them the most value? What are they going to be excited about saving their, their community points for? That's what we're, we're going to shoot for, for the higher end of the swag in the store. Air fryers. Air for, oh, jeez, I'm going to claim, hey, FYI, I'm claiming that that was my idea. I'm taking full That's life. fine.
0: That's fine. <laughs> Me and your wife will be able to have a, like a group of people who've had their ideas claimed by Tyler Shields.
2: Exactly. He's such a thief. That accidental uh, CMO, he's such a thief.
0: <laughs> it's almost like, it's like sponsored products in shows at a certain point. If you're, because people are on Zoom all day now, right? Everyone's a content yep. creator. We're all our own little TV show and Jupiter
2: One is putting products in. You just gave me actually a couple of really good ideas. Like I host a couple of podcasts and behind me, I put all this Jupiter One swag and it never really occurred to me that I should be sending Jupiter One swag to all the podcasters I know that I'm friends with because I host a podcast to put behind them in the screen. Like it's just a brilliant idea. But what what you're articulating is that swag comes in two flavors, one value to the individual so that they remember you and they hopefully someday buy your product but two, the value that comes from presentation of that swag to other people, right? So thinking mm-hmm. of it in a couple different ways is a great idea.
0: I'm going to start an agency where we ship company swag to people to have in their Zoom backgrounds during their work days. That's a, Maria, me and you, we'll start that next, okay?
2: Hey, if you need an <laughs> investor, let me know. I know some people.
1: I love Gianna and her unlimited business ideas. Uh, this is, this is a glimpse of what our weekly calls are kind of like. <laughs>
0: Hi there. My name is Sean Matson, and I head up digital strategy at Checkpoint Software. We use Hushly as our primary demand platform. We use it to remove gates, we use it for our landing pages, and we use it for our resource hub. And it has improved our conversion rate
2: by 5x.
0: Okay, so we talked about community. What's your second favorite thing that's being worked on?
2: Oh, geez. Community is definitely the number one. You know, a, a big thing that I work with a lot of companies on, including Jupiter One, is product led growth. That's just gosh, that's the toughest nut to crack on the planet, right? And I think I mentioned earlier that your design of your marketing engine has to match your design of your overall business and your business go-to-market. And I've learned that product-led growth is not necessarily just a function of getting people into your system for free. That's one piece of it. But then once they get in there, how what's their time to value? Can they find immediate value? Can they then you know, turn that value into long-term reasons to be sticky and come back And then and only then may they even consider paying you, right? And so PLG is just something that I, as an advisor, like I say, hey, I can give you some ideas, but I have not cracked that nut anywhere yet. It's just a very difficult thing to figure out.
1: How much of that onus is on marketing and how much of it is on the product and its quality? And it's.
2: Oh, 100 percent. You're making a point because almost to a T, the CEO always says, hey, marketing person go set up our product led growth, right? Almost to a T. And never is it just a marketing person, right? It's marketing, it's product management, it's engineering, it's support, it's customer success. Like if you want to build a true product-led growth model, you 100%, it's a business decision that has to be implemented throughout the entire business to be successful.
0: Heck, if you want one of those like wizards that walk people through the product, I mean, product has to build that into the product. I mean.
2: Traditionally, yes, but then there's also tools like Pendo. Pendo which is a, a SaaS product. You basically implement it into your product and it every action that every user does. They have a thing called guides now that you can actually have marketing create over the top of the product. My point of bringing that up isn't to say that marketing should do it, but that the lines blur on execution throughout PLG. It's not a single, it has to be a business-wide initiative that is cross-communicated between all the leaders. Otherwise it'll never work. How
0: did you guys do it at Jupyter One? Did you put a team, like a Tiger team? or We're not done. No, okay.
2: Nah, we're not even close to done to be honest with you. Like we, we, there is a free product that you can get into and you can sign up and you can come on and we have thousands of users using it and it's wonderful. But, you know, I don't think we've entirely cracked the nut of, you know, conversion. I don't think we've cracked the nut of giving those free users all the possible best value that we can give them. We have a very strong product led growth for sure. But it's not, you know, it's not as perfect as it could be. And I think there's a lot, lot of room for growth. As far as other, other things that are going on, you know, I think this new move towards social media and um, podcasting, and quite frankly, the stuff that you guys are killing it at, right? This kind of building the community on the back of more modern dreaming models is really super interesting. I've pushed into that in Q4. We have a show called Cyber Therapy, which is streamed live every other Tuesday, that we're doing our seventh episode for. So we're off and running with that. We're going to add, and now that we've got the platform set up, we're going to add a engineering show with one of our engineers who has just a wonderful uh, persona about himself. He's going to run his own show opposite Tuesdays probably. And just kind of building up that model is just a really new, interesting thing that I'm loving experimenting and growing with.
0: Are you building that inside of the community or is that something that's outside of the community?
2: As of right now, it's separate, mm-hmm. but because only because both are so nascent, I can 100% see those two being intercorrelated and connected and bringing champions from our community onto the show. And we have a community Slack as well. How do we start to get that? And this is where I'm going to be calling Gianna for help like <laughs> weekly. Hey, how do I fix this problem? I need your help. It's exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to say, though, is what you guys have built can translate over directly to commercial businesses, like enterprise level businesses, like what Jupiter One is doing. And we can find so much value from that.
1: That warms our heart. Yeah, it really does. Thank you for coming on.
2: Hey, it's working, you guys are killing it.
0: (laughs) One more thing. So there is, in the world of community building, and this is something me and Maria and Aileen, like pulled our hair out with at the beginning before making just a decision in order to get stuff going. Because you can always get analysis paralysis on this topic, which I haven't said yet. But the platform. What the heck are you doing for platform for your community? Are you building something custom? I heard you say Slack. You're going to do streaming. Is it secret sauce you don't want to tell us? No, 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 no.
2: I don't have secret sauce ever. I'm very, probably way too open with the world. But the word platform to me is I don't think there's any one great community platform that if you build it, they will come. So, to that end, we have a Slack channel. We have uh, YouTube, Twitch extending into LinkedIn and Twitter, hopefully, in the next episode for the live streaming side of it. So, there's kind of that platform. We're using vanilla forums for the landing platform of the community itself. We've done a bunch of custom web page development to kind of glue it all together. And then we've got a Shopify site. So when you said, what platform are you using? The answer is all of them. Yeah. Like there's no, you know, go buy this product and you've got the whole platform. I don't think one exists that way.
0: Yeah. It's, there's like some out there like circle.so and there's a couple, there's new ones popping up. But the thing, the reason we chose Slack was because it's, it's work adjacent, right? So we're building a Mm -hmm. professional community. A lot of people are already in Slack. It's easy to jump back and forth. And therefore, it was like the easiest onboarding experience. So it doesn't have features, but we can do things outside of Slack. We have our YouTube and we have our events and everything, like you're saying. It's like a distributed community. And then people can choose a la carte how they want to engage.
2: Right. And I think that's key. Taking the content you're creating and the value you're delivering to the, the customer wherever they want to engage. Right, that's the key you need to be looking for, and quite frankly, that's why I love the community. I don't engage your community in certain facets that you've put out there, not because I don't want to; it's just they're not the right facets for me. The facet that I love with the community is the Slack channel. I'm on it every day, and so you found a way to deliver for me the value I need, where I need it, when I need it, and that's what I think the key thing of a community platform is. The more pressing question is measuring the breadth of that platform, measuring results in a uniform way. That's really hard. And that's a problem I'm trying to solve right now, because as I said in the beginning of the conversation, the first thing I got to do is build measurement or I don't want to build anything else, right? Because you can't understand how good you're doing. And so that's a problem I'm actively trying to solve is, is there some kind of unified community measurement system that we can say, you know, based on Slack actions, vanilla actions, actions in our Shopify, actions in their own Twitters. These are the people that matter. This is the community that we're engaging with. And I've got a few areas and companies and products that I am engaging with, but I haven't really cracked that nut yet either.
0: Yeah. It's a tough nut to crack.
2: Yeah. I think it's doable though. And I'll I'll definitely get back together with you on a future podcast and tell you how that goes.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been amazingly interesting of a conversation and we're gonna take you up on (laughs) coming back. Tyler, so where can people find you? And also, are you hiring?
2: Oh yes, absolutely. 100% we're hiring right now. We have multiple roles open all the way up through leadership in my org. Um, I'm looking for great people across the board. So please reach out to me to get in touch with me. My personal email is super easy, tyler.shields at gmail.com. Email me directly on a personal level if you ever need to talk about something. Tyler.shields at Jupiter1.com. If you want to talk to me about coming to work at Jupiter1, those are the easiest ways to get me. On Twitter, I am super simple TXS on Twitter, my initials. Wow. Um, so you can always catch me on Twitter and then LinkedIn. If you reference that you saw me on this podcast, I will accept your connection on LinkedIn.
0: First off, who did you hack to get that Twitter?
2: Ha- happy to tell you that story if you want, but it's, <laughs> oh, it's a little bit Let's save that story. for the
0: next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I did forget. And this one's easy. If you were not in marketing, what would you be doing?
2: I want to ask you what you think that answer is because you said it's easy. What is that answer?
1: He'd be like a CISO or something.
2: No, not no? even close.
1: <laughs> Maria, what do you think? I think he'd be somewhere in, like in the food business, like a restaurant oh. owner or... A-
2: Funny, funny. You're probably closer than Jana was actually, but neither one's even remotely close. No, for me, if I wasn't doing this at Jupiter One as a CMO, I would likely be a full-time investor, full-time analyst of markets. I would publish my own writing and kind of do my own thing to to build kind of an analyst and investment system for myself. That's what I would be doing.
0: That, I could totally see that. Well, thank you for taking time out of making Jupiter One a phenomenal company
1: to join us. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon for sure.
2: Bye. Bye, thank you. (laughs)